welcome to City Break Ideas, Episode 5. Actually, let me put that another way. Hi Simua. I'm hoping that's the Malay for hello everyone. And I've got more. Wait for this. Selamat datang. Hopefully, that means welcome. As a language teacher, I'm always telling my students about the pitfalls of looking stuff up on the internet. But yes, I did exactly that myself. I went onto a translation site and asked how to say those things in Malay. Why, I hear you asking. Ah, well, all will be revealed. If you've heard previous City Break Ideas episodes, you will know that the main content is five City Break Ideas, mainly suggested by listeners. And this week, in addition to the other four, oh yes, Malaysia features. More about that later. I like to start with some news, if there is any, and I think this week, the most exciting news is that finally, finally, one of the places I need to visit for the upcoming City Break series on Bath is open. Hooray! The Roman Baths reopening tomorrow, July the 6th. And they tell me on the website that if I book ahead rather than just turning up, they will let me in. So I'm really looking forward to doing that this week and getting underway with the final touches of research prior to recording a brand new series. I'm hoping, all fingers etc. crossed, that after two more episodes in what I'm calling the COVID-19 series, I will indeed, three weeks today, be sitting playing to you the first episode of the new series, City Breaks Bath. Because fortunately, I had quite a lot of my research on Bath already underway before the pandemic struck. So hopefully, it won't take too long to tidy up a few loose ends and get going. That, of course, will bring me to my next problem. What to do when the Bath series finishes. I'm not short of ideas. I haven't actually booked a trip yet. But if you have any suggestions, do write in with them. In this episode, then, another five City Break ideas, stemming mainly from people who've had a connection with City Breaks. There's a suggestion, for example, from a Mrs G. That's the name she goes by under Twitter. I think she might be a teacher, actually. Teachers do tend to stick with their Mr or Mrs persona, don't they? Anyway, she wrote in and had all sorts of suggestions in answer to the question, where would you recommend for a city break? Sorrento, she said, Brussels, Amsterdam, Barcelona, Madrid. Whoa, I said, could you give me some ideas why? Well, Barcelona, she replied, so much history, so much to do and see. And Amsterdam is just amazing, so much more than the red light district. I enjoyed that comment. I know it to be true. And so there's a problem. Which of those cities to feature? Listen on and you'll find out. I was also contacted by Evelina, who pointed me towards her budget travel blog and invited me to pick from there one of the cities to feature. This I have done, choosing, if I may say so, somewhere really very interesting and perhaps a little more exotic than the Florence, Paris, Munich sort of city that has featured mainly on City Breaks so far. They're all lovely, but it's nice to have a new idea, and Evelina certainly provided that. And then there was Fadima Munera, who wrote in to recommend her home city in Malaysia. I have to confess I had actually never even heard of it, but she kindly pointed me in the right direction, and I have some information for you about that. And then finally, there are a few suggestions from another old friend of City Breaks, Vivienne Burke from Victoria in Australia, who wrote very enthusiastically saying, We really enjoyed Barcelona, Bordeaux, Granada, Milan, Avignon, Beaune, 
Reims. But Paris is our overwhelming passion. She too pointed me towards her blog, and I've chosen from there two or three little snippets, which I think will mainly be things you haven't considered doing. So, all of that to look forward to. But I did also just want to mention something of interest which I read in the newspaper this week, and that was the fact that the newly elected, or actually re-elected, Mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, had in her manifesto a very exciting project for central Paris. If you are of the opinion that central Paris could barely be made lovelier, I think you'll find she thinks you're wrong. And having been re-elected, she's promising to carry out her new park project right in the centre of the city, creating a big new park which will straddle the River Seine. It will include some of the Tuileries Gardens, some of the Champs-Élysées Gardens, some of the Esplanade des Invalides, some of Place de la Concorde, and that bit along the riverfront where you've got the Grand Palais and the Petit Palais, and the beautiful Pont Alexandre III, Alexander III Bridge, all of that will be part of this new park, which will all be pedestrianised, and make for a much calmer, much more traffic-free way to enjoy that particularly lovely area of Paris. The whole thing's going to cover roughly 250 acres, and reduce traffic in the area by more than 70%. The architects think it might take 10 years, but the plan actually is to try and get it ready for the opening of the 2024 Paris Olympics. So, a mad rush. Running, of course, alongside that other mad rush, which is trying to get Notre Dame completely restored after the fire, also in time for the 2024 Olympics. This set me dreaming about some of the other parks that I've really loved in cities I've covered so far. The Englischer Garten in Munich, for example. A green haven in the middle of the city, complete with its own waterfall. Then what about the lovely Bobbly Gardens, the grounds of the Palazzo Pitti in Florence? Think statues, long avenues of trees, an amphitheatre, a lake. If you've been to the summer gardens in St. Petersburg, laid out by Peter the Great himself, no less, just alongside the river, with his little summer palace in it, that was before he went off and built the much more massive Peterhof Palace outside the city, this was to be an area by the river in the centre of St. Petersburg where he could arrange his very famous summer frolics. Garden parties in English, but I think from what I've read about them, quite a lot racier than that. And then, of course, I think my favourite park anywhere of the cities I've covered so far, the gorgeous, beautiful Parque Maria Luisa in Seville. More stately long avenues, beautiful trees, lovely fountains and dotted throughout the most beautiful ceramics. Some of the benches are covered in ceramic tiles, for example, and if you look carefully at the fountains and the pools, you'll see little ceramic frogs and other creatures. Just utterly charming. And then, just before we move on, perhaps we ought to mention London, which I do think, biased though I might be, has perhaps the most beautiful collection of parks of any big city anywhere in the world. If you think I'm wrong about that, Please do let me know, because I'd love to know what could rival it. And yes, one day, we must, must, must have City Breaks London. Back to today, however. Our first City Break idea is the one suggested by Mrs G, and of the half-dozen cities that she proposed, I picked Sorrento. Lovely Sorrento, surrounded by sea and mountains, and groves of citrus trees, lemon and orange. A city from which you get the most spectacular views over the Bay of Naples. 
not a big brash city with lots of world-famous museums, or a place to potter around. Little streets, an old fishing quarter, known as the Marina Grande, where you can sit next to the harbour and enjoy seafood, or go on a boat trip with fishermen. If you're a walker, it's one of those places where it's easy to get up and out of the city, a whole network of old paths which were originally mule paths. And if you follow those up and out, you may well find yourself wandering through a lemon grove or an olive grove. How lovely does that sound? Sorrento, though, lest I make it sound too quiet, is quite busy. I think I read that some years it has been the most popular resort for British tourists. And it's also a good place from which to take days out. So you can catch a ferry to Capri, for example, or go on a coach trip along the Amalfi Coast. And there's a train with a very elaborate name called the Circumvesuviana. We linguists can guess what that means. It's going to take us around Circum somewhere. In fact, it's going to take us around Vesuvius. In fact, when I check the details, even better than that, it will take you to Pompeii and to Herculaneum, as well as to Vesuvius, which is described on the website that I checked as, quote, the mountain that destroyed both of these ancient cities. And just to give you a last little flavour of the sort of treats that you can expect in Sorrento, I'd like to read from the menu of cooking class, which is another thing that you can do there, some of the lovely meals that you could learn to cook. We are told that you'll spend between three and five hours in a masterclass learning how to cook these various things, and that will be followed, of course, by lunch or by dinner, when presumably you eat of all these lovely things, accompanied, according to the website, by, quote, adequate wines. Don't know whether that's adequate in quantity or quality, or hopefully both. Anyway, you can have a limoncello tasting session, and you can learn to make things like a caprese salad, or aubergine parmesan, and local specialities ravioli caprese and caprese lemon cake. So, definitely a great idea, Sorrento, for a rest, for a little culture, and for some lovely food. And, of course, the adequate wine. Yes, please, to all of that. By way of a complete change, I'd like to read you a message which I got from Fadima Munera with her suggestion of a city break idea. Quote, I would like to recommend you to do a podcast about Putrajaya. Putrajaya is my hometown and the administrative city of Malaysia. It is the home for Malaysian civil servants. It is also famous for futuristic architectures. Please Google about Putrajaya. So, Fadima was quite right to suspect that I wouldn't know very much about it. In fact, whisper it, I had never heard of it. But when I found out that it had a population of 91,000 people, I realised that possibly I should have heard of it. It's south of Kuala Lumpur, and in 1999 it became the administrative capital for the federal government. Think Newtown, but somewhere rather classy. I saw it described as, quote, filled with immaculate government buildings, wide boulevards, scenic bridges, and pockets of greenery. Putrajaya is a world of its own, and known as the intelligent garden city. So, of course, then I had to find out what there was to see there. And first I came across a reference to the Putra Mosque, made from rose-coloured granite with a pink dome. It's on the lakeside, it's got room for 15,000 worshippers, and we are told that inside too it is rosy pink in colour. 
Visitors can go in, you're asked to dress modestly and wear the robes that they provide you with. And it does sound like somewhere that it would be very nice to see. The centrepiece of the city is a man-made lake, Putrajaya Lake, which you can arrive at over a three-tiered bridge inspired by Iranian architecture, so think minaret-type piers, and a lovely view over the lake. There's the Millennium Monument as well, the first monument to be built in the city, round about 2005, so when it was all of five or six years old. It's got a walkway that you can go up, twirling round up to the very top of the monument, with panels on either side illustrating the history of Malaysia. And of course, when you get to the top, your reward is sweeping views of the waterfront. There's a big botanical garden with five thematic gardens, one of which, for example, Palm Hill, has 50 species or more of palm tree. And something which I found a little surprising was that there's a big well-known patch of wetlands here, which UNESCO, no less, have designated a, wait for it, eco-hydrology demonstration site. I guess that's probably the ecological version of World Heritage Site, and it does sound fantastic. More than a 100 species of birds, a place to see flamingos, swans, pelicans, painted storks, and something called buffy fish owls. It also sounds like a city to visit if you're one of those people who can't sit still and has to go off and do exciting, possibly daring things, try new sports, etc. Because a quick browse of one or two websites told me that among the things you can get up to in Putrajaya would be hot air balloon rides, segway riding, stand-up paddling on the lake, water jet packing across the lake, you can get a hold of an e-scooter, or you can go flyboarding at the marina. Flyboarding, I thought. What is that? Definition coming up. Quote, This new water sport propels you over the lake with water jets, and you can twirl, swerve, or even dive like a dolphin with a life jacket, helmet and a trained instructor to brief you before you take off. Sounds to me like the sort of ideal I might not survive, but other people, I think, could be very taken with that idea. So there you go, flyboarding. So, thank you very much, Fadima. You've certainly introduced us to lots of new ideas. How to follow that? Well, I'm going to slip in one of my own recommendations here, somewhere that I have in fact not visited for... I think I worked out it's somewhere between 35 and 40 years, but of which I have retained ever since very fond memories. And that is the little town of Bruges in Belgium, the capital of West Flanders, day out distance from Brussels, known variously as the medieval Flemish capital, the Venice of the North, the city of swans. What I remember is little cobbled streets, canals, beautiful little bridges and lots of medieval buildings, an absolutely idyllic little town to wander around. Here, for example, is what it says on one of the websites I checked. Quote, Today, visitors flock from around the world to float down the city's historic canals and under its picturesque stone bridges, alongside flocks of swans, to tour its cobblestone streets in horse-drawn carriages and to sip hot chocolate and beer at sidewalk cafes. Hot chocolate and beer sounds like a slightly strange mix to me, but presumably they mean not together. I remember it really more as a place to wander around and enjoy than to go on a heavy-duty museum crawl. But in fact, when I checked, there certainly is no shortage of things to look at or go inside, if that's what you like to do. The main thing seemed to be 
a church called the Basilica of the Holy Blood, said to house the blood of Christ which was brought to Belgium from the Holy Land by Joseph of Arimathea, and which is the centre point for a procession which takes place every year on Ascension Day, so 40 days after Easter, the day which commemorates the Ascension of Jesus to Heaven. Members of the Brotherhood of the Holy Blood carry a vial with a little piece of cloth in it, believed to be stained with the blood of Christ, through the streets, and more than 1,700 people take part in this procession, which goes right the way through the town. Some are on foot, some are on horseback or in carts, others are enacting biblical scenes, the whole thing accompanied by brass bands, a real spectacle, and one that people travel to Bruges especially to see. Other things to do in Bruges? If you want a good view of the city, then why not climb the 13th century belfry, which overlooks the market square, 366 steps up, if you're up to that, and your reward at the top, of course, a panoramic view of the city. Perhaps you'll choose a moment when the bells are ringing, there being no fewer than 47 of them, and if you want to walk around the city, then there is a walk, I think you can get a map from the tourist office, which takes you past four old romantic windmills, which are still there, along a route that was originally the city wall. So you'll see the windmills, you'll see the old moat, you'll see what's left of the medieval city gates. You'll get various vistas of the city, and you'll be able to wander past the houseboats for which the city is also known. If you do want to go to some museums, absolutely no shortage. I think probably in Bruges the top thing, museum-wise, would be the art gallery, the Gröninger Museum, if I'm pronouncing that properly, where the speciality is Flemish painting. Painters like Jan van Eyck and Hans Meinling, there are plenty. I did notice actually on one website that there was a guide to the top 10 art galleries in Bruges, so you may wish to explore a bit further than just the big blockbuster one. There are museums too, based on other things for which Bruges is famous, one on lace making, for example, and another one on diamonds. I saw references to lots of foodie-type museums, one on beer, one on chocolate, and one on potatoes. I think that was my favourite. It's called the Friet Museum, which to my ear means chips museum, but perhaps I'm missing something there. Although I did enjoy a sentence from the website of said museum, which said, quote, This didactical museum sketches the history of the potato, Belgian fries, and the various sauces and dressings that accompany this most delicious and most famous of Belgian comestibles. It was the word comestibles that I particularly enjoyed. But since my Flemish is non-existent, perhaps I should just be grateful that they've translated it into English for us. OK, so a small jewel of a town, very photogenic, very beautiful. Where next? So that problem has been solved by Evelina who introduces herself on her website, evbeing.com, in the following way, quote, I am a Greek journalist and adventure lover. Looking for the best way to travel on a budget? Follow my stories and tips on how to travel cheaply in Europe and around the world. It's a very well-designed and quite comprehensive website, stashed full of travel ideas, including quite a lot of city break ideas. I'll just repeat the address, evbeing, E-V, B-E-I-N-G dot com. Citywise, the most casual of browsers pointed me towards Belfast, Barcelona, Warsaw, Lisbon, Reykjavik, Riga and Manchester. But Evelina's suggestion for city breaks was why not focus on the city that she's in fact just visited and written about 
and that is Marrakesh. Great, I thought. I certainly would never have come to that by myself. And the Marrakesh page was indeed chock full of ideas and tips. I learnt from it, for example, that the Jemar Elfna Square is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, one where Evelina tells us you can walk around the souks, which will be selling clothes, spices, lamps, all sorts of things. A real labyrinth of narrow streets. And she explains that it's somewhere with different characters at different times of day. So if you go in the daytime, there's food and drink, orange juice, multi-nuts. There's entertainment, snake charmers, for example, and monkeys. If you go later on in the evening, it's a bit more crowded. And then things that you might see would include dancing troops, storytellers and boxing matches. And later on at night, the whole square fills up with food stalls. So if you want to try Moroccan street food, that's the place to do it. Particularly, as as Evelina says, it's full of, yes, some visitors and tourists, but actually also lots of locals. So as she points out, if your motto is always to eat where the locals eat, this is the place for you. Other places to visit in the city? And I'm absolutely summarising because there's lots of information on the places I'm going to mention and on many more, which one, there isn't really room for, and two, it would be much better for you to find for yourself on Evelina's website. So, just a quick flavour then of things that you can do. You can go to the Darcy Said Museum, where Moroccan art is on display, carpentry, mosaics, etc. Two big mosques, the Kutubia Mosque, which is a focal point in the centre of the city, and the Mansouria Mosque, dating right back to the 12th century. Some of Evelina's other suggestions would be why not visit a hammam for a massage or a facial treatment, or go on a camel ride. You could go quad biking in a palm grove, book a quad, take off to explore, and come back to be served minced tea in a traditional Moroccan teapot. So, lots of inspiration there whether for Marrakesh or for any of the other places, and there are dozens, featured on Evelina's website. And each of her main features has lots of tips of things to do. It's got links for finding out more. It's got some of her personal experiences. It's got some great photos. Definitely a website to lose yourself in and go a-dreaming. And then start checking your bank account to ascertain how soon you can go to some of the places that she's inspired you about. So that was idea number four, and for the fifth one, we're going back to a city we visited before, because Vivian Burke from Australia has written in, pointing me towards her blog, the name of which is apropabusride.blogspot.com, on which there are all kinds of diary entries and photos about visits to many, many places, but where I honed in on some of what she wrote about Paris, and I've picked out one thing which I did mention in the City Breaks series, but where she's given a little more detail, and two really very wacky ideas which I didn't mention at all, and which I feel should be brought to your attention. So there's an entry on La Défense, which you may know is the business and commercial centre to the northeast of the city. You may recall if you stood on the Arc de Triomphe and looked west that you've seen that huge white arch some eight kilometres away. That's La Défense. And Vivian's description of the area is all glass and concrete and steel, very modern, sleek, cutting edge. As she points out, the arch was built to mirror the Arc de Triomphe. They face each other, they echo each other, and are, as she puts it, about eight kilometres and two hundred years apart. 
She reminds us that it was commissioned by François Mitterrand several presidents ago now, in that way that French presidents have of leaving something behind which will mean that nobody forgets them. Vivienne highlights its enormous size by pointing out that the black specks you can see on the photo that she's taken of it are in fact people sitting on the steps. She also describes in another entry a visit to, wait for it, Les Égouts, the Museum of Sewers. She's posted some photos of it, which she herself describes as pretty thrilling, and she writes, quote, It was very interesting. It was also very smelly. And when I found myself walking across the metal grid with water and God knows what else rushing underneath me, I felt a bit weak at the knees. So the Paris sewers, possibly not for everyone, but I do know, although I haven't done it yet, that you can actually get somebody to take you down there on a tour. I don't know if you can go without a guide, but I think in this case a guide would surely be a good thing, both so that you see the interesting bits and also that you avoid anything that would be really too, uh, shall we call it, dangerous. And then thirdly, I took from Vivienne's blog something which I absolutely had never heard of. It's a shop, and it's called, in French, Destruction des animaux nuisibles, which translates as destruction of harmful animals. And Vivienne's description reads as follows. This shop helps you kill those pesky, nuisancey animals around your house, like mice, rats, cockroaches and spiders. It has a fabulous window display. She's describing one of her photos here. The vertical white shapes on the right-hand side are rats hanging by their tails, while the gentleman in the white hat is looking at the biggest spiders I have ever seen. And then, possibly slightly ominously, she remarks, quote, Obviously, business is thriving. I suppose that's a good thing, because if business weren't thriving, all those pesky creatures would just be still there. It's good to know that somebody's doing something about that. OK, so that's it for this week. I'd just like to finish by reminding you that, yes please, more ideas for City Breaks would be very, very welcome, reminding you of the three ways in which you can contribute. You can go onto the website and leave a comment on the blog, www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk. You can send an email if you prefer, citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk. Or if you're on Twitter, it's at CityBreaksCast. I'm definitely planning one more City Break Ideas episode for a fortnight's time. I'm rather hoping that might be the last one for a little while, because then we'll be able to get the Bath series up and running. But I think I will stick with City Break Ideas episodes every now and then. Perhaps mid-series, certainly at the end of a series. Because if you are a City Break fan, what's better than lots of other people's ideas for cities that you could visit. As regular listeners will know, I do very much like to sign off in something foreign, as appropriate, and for today, I thought a little touch of Malay would be nice. I'm always telling my own students not to rely on Google Translate, so of course I wanted to do better than that. I consulted Fadima Munera, contributor of one of this week's ideas, and asked her, how would I say thank you and goodbye in her language? She, of course, is not responsible for the fact that I may well murder the pronunciation, but I'd like to thank her for responding and going to have a go at saying thank you very much, Terima Kazi, and goodbye, Selamat Tingal. <laughs>